Welcome one and all to Contention's best radio station that is currently hijacking the radio waves of the city. And now I am hearing that we are also the city's best radio station as well. Well, would you look at that, y'all. This is your radio pirate ship captain, Wolf the Dog. And I'm here to steer all y'all's doubloons so I can buy myself a mini fridge for my new apartment here in the city. This week's Howlin' with Wolf comes from NZO. Remember, if you want to write up something for your wolf to howl, tag at PretendingPod on Instagram or Twitter. Tag Pretending to be People on Facebook. Or write a five-star review and email us at PretendingPod at gmail.com. NZO writes, Hey, Mr. Dog. How you doing? I feel like nobody asked you that. I would like to send a shout out to my lovely second half, Rihanna. She really isn't big into tabletop games, but the moment she heard this gem of a show, she was all ears, and she thinks everyone is doing a terrific job. Just wanted to tell her thanks for being my number one, even when I can be a real number two. I guess that's really it. So I will re-ask my initial question. How you doing? You know, I've been alright, can't complain. Rent here in the city is a little nuts compared to the old basement back in contention. But otherwise, everything has been okay, I guess. I do miss the rats back in the basement sometimes. Those tasty, delicious little morsels of meat. Mmm. Uh, uh, anyway, as I've been getting settled into my new place here in the city, I have fallen behind on the latest happenings. So here is an exceptionally intimate version of the news. The other day, I was walking my dog, Wolf, and we ran into a little old homeless lady pup getting a nice little snack at a dumpster that I frequent. Now this little old lady dog took a liking to my dog, Wolf. And y'all, it looks like my little old boy has fallen for a city girl. Or it could have been the fact that she was covered in ranch dressing that was getting my boy all riled up for love. Who can say? Please remember my friends, we got ourselves a Patreon now. The link is in the show notes. And if you can't support us financially, please tell a friend about the show. And if you don't have any friends, please write a review on iTunes. And if you can't use iTunes, post about the show on Reddit. But no matter who you are, turn up the volume and clap on the three and four. It's Kutsu with no backbone. been a while it's been a while been a while it has been a while since i've said sorry i'm realizing now <laughs> you can say it to me now if you want okay clark oh fuck i mean joe <laughs> see i'm already here i'm already ready to go. already there i'm already rearing to go in, baby in situ <laughs> we have a, another special guest with us this week and it is taylor hi you've met me Woo! i'm taylor Taylor, are yes. you having a summer? Oh, you know I'm having a summer. <laughs> if you haven't seen that video, go watch Have a Summer by... Uh, Howard Kramer. Do he and Kulop still do that one podcast they did? He still does it. I think it's called Who Charted. Yeah, that's uh, it. But she's not on it gotcha. anymore. She got busy. She started writing and, and producing and all that. Yeah. Taylor, do you have anything to plug this week? I'd like to plug uh, my career. <laughs> uh, go be a teacher and mold young minds. Do the teach. It's the only way we move forward. Do you like the smell of <laughs> pubic hair and uh, having your eyes rolled? Wait, at? what? The smell? <laughs> of, the smell of pubic hair? Yeah, our pu- don't. Oh yeah, pubic. Wait, what armpit? She hair? is currently lifting up her <laughs> arm and pointing at her armpit. <laughs> 
your pubic hair. I can't wait for this to be cut later. <laughs> There's not a chance this will be cut. No, I don't. This is absolutely staying a, in. I think there's like a rule against me talking about my students' pubic hair. Yeah, there's I was about to say, we might be in legal territory <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I really like my job. <laughs> I don't want to lose it. Well, at least you meant armpit hair. Let's I jump. Love, I love that. You should be a teacher. If you like the smell of pubic hair, <laughs> you should be a teacher. And don't we all? <laughs> Take a look deep within yourselves. That's cool, yeah. You could also become a priest. All right, so let's uh, dive into the episode this week. Clark, a thick fog obfuscates your vision. It's heavy. The air, like gravity, is somehow stronger than usual. A whisper in your ear sends shivers down inside your spine. The voice is familiar. A stainless steel door appears in front of you. Opening so near your nose, you feel a drop in temperature as the cold metal swings by. A woman begins screaming behind you. <coughs> and when you turn around, you see the face of Tildy B. Mitchell on a television screen. She begins repeating herself over and over. Bonus round. Bonus round. Bonus. Bonus round. Bonus round. Bonus round. And then you are running down the street. You recognize this street. You live up here on the left. A familiar boy is about to walk into the house. You begin to scream, and you are surrounded by this thick fog. Your screams begin to echo infinitely into the sheer endlessness engulfing you. <laughs> and then you hear a voice, and you look up, and you see, well, Taylor, why don't you tell us what Clark sees? Clark is about to see his one life mentor, a one Gerald Fingerson, you. in front of him. And how handsome is, as ever. How is he looking these days? Handsome as ever, handsome I say. Handsome as ever. Reiterated. What's he wearing? Well, I wanted that experience to be just between me and Clark. <laughs> Gerald and, uh-huh. and Clark. What he's wearing? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the listeners aren't allowed to, to know. <laughs> he's a little bit older, as is Clark. Uh, but Gerald, he's one who ages so gracefully that uh, it almost looks like he's younger. He has lost a little bit of his hair, but he's like the most handsome, balding, old librarian <laughs> you've ever seen. Does he still have those tats? <laughs> we never talked about tats, did we? Yeah, he had tats all, all down his arm. Uh, I think he was wearing Secret a, a tats. He was wearing a sweater vest. He was wearing a oh, sweater vest. Did we make with, some? Uh, mm-hmm. He was wearing a sweater vest with no shirt underneath. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I foisted upon you that he had tattoos beneath. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rogers. Anyway, he's looking good. Mr. Fingerson, looking tight. <laughs> no, that's how you speak now. That's, that's Clark's new character voice. Charles is very disappointed. Uh, and Taylor, on this crisp December morning clark bishop is wearing his underwear what what kind of underwear does clark wear tidy whities yeah yeah nonstop. and he is also wearing a t-shirt from a gas station called pump and dump good Woo-hoo. now clark when you look down and see that you realize that uh you are also not wearing any shoes or socks and it's like december 6th and it is quite cold outside it's strange because you feel absolutely incredible the past few days have been exhausting and non-stop but you feel better than you felt in a very long time so i'm gonna need you to take your hit points and willpower all the way back up to full holy shit <laughs> which takes you to what my hit points go up to 26 that's my max. Uh, and willpower, you said? Willpower that, as well. That brings me up to 12 is my max. Congratulations. You feel unstoppable. <laughs> and Clark, around your wrist is a string that's attached to a bag of ice with a metal rod sticking out of the top. And this bag of ice is leaking red down the driveway the two of you are standing on. The suburban home this driveway belongs to looks exactly like all the other homes on this street with one key distinction. The mailbox says, Jim Cook. Oh, shit. So you're standing there. You got this string around your wrist, bag of ice connected to it. 
bag of ice is leaking red down the driveway, metal rod kind of sticking up out, and uh, you notice that there's also like a little, uh, there's something else in the bag of ice. Uh, where's Mr. Fingerson situated in the world? Uh, he's uh, just uh, sitting. He's holding your hand. Yeah, he's holding <laughs> your hand. <laughs> M- M- Mr. Mr. Fingerson? My dear boy, you look a little different than I saw you last. Where, 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 where are we? Where, how, how'd I get here? Boy, we've been here for 40 years. I'm only 37, Mr. Fingerson. I know, I like to joke with you, my boy. I thought oh, that was our little banter. We walked here from the park. Don't you remember? I don't, Mr. Fingerson. I'm... What do you remember, my boy? I remember a, a room... And there were cages, and I, I fought, I fought, I fought, a, I fought a kid, and then I saw my partners, and they were they were shooting, and they fell as a crowd, and they were. Oh and God! Did you were, save them, boy? I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. What do you suppose we shall do now? I pull the uh, ice bag toward myself. Can I open it without without uh, losing any contents? Yeah, 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 for sure. I peek in. What do I see? Peeking in, you see uh, uh, this metal rod goes down into the bottom of the ice bag, and it is surrounded by ice. So you just got the top of the rod, just the tip. Up against, like, the side of the bag on the inside, up against some ice, there is a small canvas bag. So is the metal rod just a metal rod? Is there any markings on it or anything? Uh, It doesn't look like it. Um, Go ahead and roll intelligence for me real quick. Oh boy, it's a roll. <laughs> it's the first roll in a while. Now for the listeners, I I failed to call for rolls quite often in these last two uh, little mini sessions with the other two boys. Uh, and by mini sessions, I mean full episodes as how they turned out. And so he's going to give me a lot of rolls with <laughs> a lot of chances of failure. <laughs> <laughs> Setting Clark up for failure is what I do best. So uh, that one I passed on, though, I got a 10 on a 55. Congratulations. Sue! when you look at this rod, you flash back to being in that cage and you recognize this metal rod that shoved inside this bag of ice is from the cage that you were in it was one of the bars that was on the cage hmm. and i'm and i'm tied to the bag you just have a string around your wrist it's just it's not tied to you necessarily but you know the string at the top of a bag of ice like a little got rope it, thing got it got it your hand is just kind of through it like the drawstring yeah you exactly said it's dripping red like presumably blood presumably mr fingerson does this does this look like blood to you my boy, I've only seen blood once in my life, but it does appear that way. I lift up my shirt and I'm looking for scars on myself and I'm turning around and say, Mr. Fingerson, is there anything on my back? Am I hurt? You look amazing. As you lift your shirt up, you lift it right above your chest. You see right almost in the middle of your chest, but just a little bit off stage left, there is a gaping hole that goes all the way through you. Do you see anything, Mr. Fingerson? Nothing too out of the ordinary. Perhaps oh, that donut hole in the middle of you could have be filled in with some clock. Go ahead and uh, roll sanity for me real quick. It hurts right here. Not so much here. Not so much here, but right here. Uh, a 51 on, you said sanity roll, currently is 26. That's a failure. All right. Yeah, I would say a whole running through your body um you feel fine uh but you're gonna take half a d6 of sanity loss on that you know because there's a hole through your body i rolled a five okay that's three you lose three sanity taking you down to 23 my breaking point is 18 so as you look at your chest you see that the skin actually moves from each side of the hole down into your body and creates this gelatinous cartilage walled tunnel that runs through you and you can actually put your fingers in and as you press in to the skin that is technically inside of you but is not because it's a tunnel so it's outside of you still somehow it just feels like an ear you know or like a nose it's just that that cartilage it's kind of hard lumpy but skin covering it all skin's covering it all clock are you in pain it 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 doesn't it doesn't hurt it's like my body got a gauge you know like in your ears yes it seems you've become quite a badass 
It's pretty cool. You want to touch it? Not particularly. I try to not touch anymore. (laughs) That's probably good life advice. Perhaps we should go inside. I was actually just on my way to go see my dear friend Jim. We have cashew chicken on Sundays together. Jim, Jim Cook. Yes, of course. Why are you here? Mr. Fingerson, I I don't know why I'm here, but uh, we found out earlier in the week that uh, Jim... Jim's dead. Well, that can't be. Jim is my dearest friend. Once you stopped visiting me at the library, he's the only one I had left. I'm, 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 I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, Mr. Fingerson, but we, we got it on good authority that he, he was found dead in an alley. <sighs> okay, well... At precisely this moment, you notice that there is a man walking swiftly toward you, and he is wearing one of those full windbreaker outfits that's like purple and green and black and white, and like straight out of the 80s, and he is walking quite briskly, and he's got these, uh, he's got these little goggles on that seem to uh, make him more wind resistant, and as he approaches you, he flips the goggles up onto his forehead. Hey, fella. Hey, uh, hey, 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 fella. Um, what can we do you for here? <laughs> uh, you seem to be uh, maybe a bit out of place. Or are you, uh, uh, what's going on here? Do I recognize this person at all? Not even a little bit. I like your aesthetic. Uh, I, I certainly do appreciate you saying that, sir, but um, I'm far more concerned about what you're uh, maybe doing out here on this property. Oh, God, and he looks down and he sees the red going down the driveway and he's like, what a, oh God, what happened there? That's, whew, that's uh, no good. It's a, it's a, it, it's a, it's a jello experiment is what Mr. Fingerson told me. Oh, a jello, who's Mr. Fingerson? This, this oh, year, Mr. Fingerson. Oh, that's me, young man. And, and you are, sir? Well, I'm Ken. It's good to meet you, Ken. It's good to meet you as well. And your name was? Uh, uh Clark, Clark, Clark Bishop. Clark Bishop, and he uh, he pulls out his phone and he types and he says Clark Bishop. Okay, that is, you know what, <laughs> that is good information. So basically, what we have here is uh, you, Clark Bishop, not necessarily belonging in this neighborhood. So um, would Clark know where Jim's house is? Jim Cook's house is just from his. Are we in contention? Oh uh, no, you would know that uh, Jim Cook lives in the city. Gotcha. Now, sir, you will not talk to my son that way. Now, we will be on our way, and you can go do some more brisky, boys. The man, Ken, his eyes get real wide, and he backs up. Uh, Okay, you know what? I think think I better just go then. (laughs) I I guess uh, have a a good day. All right, okay then. (laughs) And he uh, puts his goggles, he flips them right back down. Onto his eyes, and and he bails. He he briskly walks. Oh, that was exhilarating! <laughs> I've never talked to someone so harshly before. You were on your toes, though, Mister Fingerson. Thanks. You know, I've been doing extra wrist curls recently. It must have shown in my muscles. He was intimidated, I'm sure. Yes. Now, I have had a hard time processing what you've said about Jim, but you know what I always say about a good researcher: if you don't see something firsthand, how could you possibly believe? Let's go inside. Uh, I think getting off the street either way is a good idea. Let's see if the door's open. Mr. Fingerson? (laughs) Mr. Fingerson, did you just happen upon me here in the driveway? How'd you find me? It seems like me a coincidence. I don't know why you're here, boy. So let's go ahead and as we watch Clark Bishop and Gerald Fingerson walk toward the house, let's go ahead and talk about the changes in Clark Bishop as a character. Yeah. So you died. I, di- I died. I, di- I, I I had a great fall. And you spent 30 luck? Yeah, I spent 30 luck to avoid death. So what? Uh, how much luck are you at now? Uh, that puts me at 45, according to my sheet here. 45 luck. All right. Basically, as I explained in the last episode, I have given each of these boys two talents from the Pulp Cthulhu rulebook, and Clark chose? Uh, I chose uh, the one of them called Endurance. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's a constitution bump. So uh, I'm, I, I'm heartier. Much heartier at a time uh, such as this. And 
Actually, how we're going to do that in this game is I'm going to give you a plus 40 on your constitution. So what was your constitution before? Uh, my constitution was 65. So now it is 105. Nice. Damn. So on a constitution check, you will still be able to crit fail on a 100. Past that, it's going to be all successes unless you're disadvantaged in some way. Super cool. Super duper cool. <laughs> and then you chose another one as well. I chose quick draw, which essentially uh, makes it so that I uh, am f uh, faster to a fight. It, it, in jargon, it gives me a higher initiative roll. Yeah. So typically, uh, I think in Pulp Cthulhu, it boosts your initiative roll. But here in Delta Green, we don't actually roll initiative unless it seems like a fun thing for me to do at the time. So what we are going to do for quick draw is put Clark at the top of the order in every combat scenario. And I'm going to let you spend 10 luck to act twice at the top if you would like to. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, I believe yesterday in World, Clark Bishop hit a breaking point. And the last breaking point that you hit, we had discussed Clark Bishop needing to express his anger through violence on a daily basis. Otherwise, he would wake up the next day with a reduced amount of willpower. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take that idea and push it to excess. So what's going to happen is every time you roll a sanity and you fail, but that roll would also fail power. So if I ask for a sanity roll, mm -hmm. if you fail that roll, but you also fail power, which what's your power at? Uh, 60. 60. So if you roll over 60 on a sanity check, not only are you going to lose that sanity, but you're also going to immediately lash out physically. Ooh, that's awesome. So glad I'm <laughs> the only one around him. Yeah. And that he said he was going to make me roll a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, get your things in order, Gerald Fingerson. I'm always ready. <laughs> For the grave. That's rude. Just because I'm old doesn't mean I'm near the grave. I'm a sprightly 67. Now I'm probably like 80. I think you said you were 19 in the last <laughs> I'm funny. <laughs> I wrote uh, sanity over 60 equals bad on the side of my character <laughs> sheet. So that's going to be something that I think would be fun if we didn't talk about at the table and you just do as a character. Okay. I will say like, and Joe, did that sanity roll also fail on power? And if so, then I'm not going to say, okay, then I'll take control of your or anything like that. I'll you just will, do it. Yeah, just, just go for it. Okay. And get weird with it. I love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Do, uh, do I have to inflict harm or can I can I lash out in it in other ways? I would say lashing out at a uh, at a being of some sort would be necessary. Okay. Sorry, this time it maybe like I said unnecessary. I'm physically to a being necessary. Oh, he can't just like verbally berate me. He has to hit my face. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a librarian. The power of words is more powerful than the power of fists. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can think that. You've been doing those wrist curls, though. You'll be all right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm ready. Come at me, young boy. <laughs> Checking the front door of Jim Cook's house, Clark feels the knob just open right up. And the door swings open. Let's go in, my boy. As you walk into this house, the house smells kind of old, but in a calming, familiar way. And there's an upright piano in the entryway. The living room has papers and binders strewn all over the coffee table, couch, chairs, the floor, really everywhere in the living room. There's just papers and binders and papers and binders. And the sun still low in the sky because it's early morning is shining in through the window, illuminating a fair amount of stagnant dust that's just hanging there. I was thinking about a way that we could investigate this house in a, in a fun way and came up with a, a kind of new uh, idea that we've never done before. So I'm going to have Taylor and Joe fill out a quick form off mic and uh, it's going to be of the uh, Mad Gab <laughs> style. Persuasion. It's... <laughs> What's mad, Gab, again? Is that the fill in the adjective, the noun? Yeah. Of, okay, cool. And uh, then Stoked. We, we'll be right back. Holy shit, cool. Well, 
Well, it seems like Jim's dead. Would you like to hear me play Mary Had a Little Lamb? It was his favorite song. Yeah, sure, 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 Mr. Fingers. I'm, I got- ding dong, ding dong, ding, ding dong, ding I make ding, my way dong, toward where I think a bedroom ding, might be ding, and want to find some pants. Uh, you immediately uh, find some pants that are uh, sitting out on the bed. Are they anywhere close to my size? Go ahead and roll luck for me. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a critical fail. For, uh, 55 on a 45. Oh. Gerald hides in the closet. What could we put in Clark's? No, no, no. Not on the <laughs> It's not that. Not okay. a sanity roll. Oh, right, um, right. So, uh, <laughs> Gerald hides Gerald in the closet. Gerald goes home. <laughs> um... Looking at these uh, these pants, they're actually they are they are quite tight as you put them on, and <laughs> and when you as you pull them on, they they grab onto your leg hairs and pull up, and they are basically capris yeah, on you. Yeah, totally. yeah, So now you are wearing capris, no shoes, no socks, and a shirt from Pump and Dump. That is correct. Yes, the Pump and Dump. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking real swell. Yeah, just nailing it. So as we said before, I I wanted to do the investigation of this house, a very odd and uh, quick moving, to uh, basically lay out the information for you and let you do with it what you will. Basically, these uh, all of these solo episodes are meant to get the three boys back where they might need to be. The um, boys are back in contention. The boys are back in contention. <laughs> exactly. So, Clark, you begin looking floppily around the house. <laughs> and on the fridge, you see a picture that catches your attention. It's a picture of your parents. They are posing with silly hats and another man who is begrudgingly smiling. Have I seen the picture before in my life? You've never seen this picture before in your life. And do I know who that third man is or the, the third person? Jim? You would recognize him from some of the other pictures you've seen in this house. It is Jim Cook. This old Jimmy boy. I was In my little notebook, I was writing Jimmy boy. <laughs> <laughs> It's good to take thorough notes. (laughs) Serendipitously scouring for more information, you see a chest cavity of drawers. The cavity was a joke for you. You could have just said chest of drawers. Chest of drawers and open it. Inside is a Ziploc bag containing two small items, a single tarot card, the devil, with several bullet holes in it. Oh, wow. And a taxidermied baby squirrel. Baby squirrel. Uh, is there anything with the squirrel? There is nothing with the squirrel. Can I look at the bottom of its base? Does it have any signature? Do taxidermists put a signature <laughs> on their taxidermy? Of course, Zach. <laughs> Of course they do, Zach. You know that Joe is from a long lineage of taxidermists. Taxidermists. <laughs> it's in his blood. Uh, uh, I'd say probably not, but maybe there's one there. <laughs> if that's all, all of that's in a Ziploc bag, the tarot yeah. card alongside the squirrel? Yeah, it's a baby, it's a taxidermy baby squirrel. So it is a, it's a sandwich size bag. So the, the baby squirrel, the squirrel baby mm-hmm. is the devil. <laughs> Canonically, logic. Clark is a fan of taxidermy. Yeah, I believe he is. Can he tell the craftsmanship? Is it Julie Maxwell's craftsmanship? Go ahead and roll intelligence for me. That is a pass. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. Lie. It's not a pass. Joe, lie. It's a 56 on a 55. I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> Never lie to me. I will know. I lie to Zach all the time. <laughs> It's our special little game. It's what keeps our marriage healthy is yeah. secrets. Mm. That's a good foundation. Summer secrets. <laughs> oh, you know I'm having a summer. <laughs> you, uh, you cannot tell the uh, the origin of this taxidermied squirrel. However, as you continue to blindly search for more, you look behind the couch, and hiding behind there, you can see a leather holster for a firearm. There isn't a gun, but there is a small bit of text tooled into the leather. Tooled into the leather. <laughs> tooled into the leather. Tooled into the leather. Tooled into the leather. It says Scientia Mors Est, which is S C I E N T I A space M O R S space E S T space. And then underneath it, it has a dash 
and then the letter uppercase K. And that's in the leather on the holster. It is indeed. And this one, uh, this one really made me happy with the way that the Mad Gab worked out. Stupidly going through his bathroom, <laughs> you find a ring in a pile of abandoned pubic hair. <laughs> that was me. I did Thank you, that. Taylor. It is smooth and silver with a little plateau on top. It is completely smooth with no markings on it whatsoever. When you say a plateau on top, it's presumably like the base of where something would sit, maybe? It doesn't look like it. It looks like it's just rounded right up to the top, and then like where it would be like on the top of your finger, it is just a flat plateau. Okay. Mm-hmm. Moving throughout the rest of the house, uh, you see that in the living room, with all the papers and binders and stuff all, the, all over the place, uh, you see two notebooks that are sitting out. One is leather and thick, and it has a symbol on the front you have come to recognize. It has a big circle surrounded by six smaller circles. The other notebook is thin and red, and it looks familiar. Go ahead and roll luck for me. That's a pass. That's a 35 on a 45. All right. Walking over, you, uh, you take a look at this thick leather book, and it has this girthy wooden bookmark and uh, mm, girthy. <laughs> girthy, girthy wooden mm, bookmark. Girthy. And uh, <laughs> as you open it, uh, it takes you to nearly the back of the book. Uh, and written over and over on this ancient parchment is the phrase, it is only through death that he may rise again. And death is capitalized and he is capitalized. Can I flip uh, forward in the book some and see, is it all handwritten or is some of it printed? It's actually weird. Um, so before before you can flip the book at all, uh, over drawn over this obsessive scrawl, like drawn over it is a picture of a hooded figure with a brilliant light shining from its maw. So the, uh, the, all the text is in the background and then the foreground wow. is this, this hooded figure with this, this big light. Uh, where its mouth is. It, it's drawn, though. It's not an actual light emitting from the book, is it? It's not, okay. no. But as you try to flip the book toward the front, uh, go ahead and roll luck for me. Uh, that's a critical success. 33 on a 45. Oh, my God. That is incredible. <laughs> All the secrets of the universe are revealed to you in an instant. <laughs> So as you flip this, uh, as you flip this, uh, yeah, I I wasn't planning on giving you this. Uh, (laughs) As you flip the book back through, you see there's a there's a note. There's like a note stuck in it in between these two pages. And it kind of flits out as you go through the book and the book closes immediately. Like it almost unnaturally. So you can't get to any of the other pages but this little piece of paper flips out this this envelope and inside the envelope is a uh, a letter a handwritten letter you can see very clearly at the bottom it's signed by Jim Cook okay in this letter Jim Cook refutes quote the revelation of the overseer calling it the quote scratches of a broken man The letter then goes on to outline new guidelines, including the immediate reassignment of all members of the disposal unit. So A is the envelope addressed and B is the, is there a greeting to anybody at the top? So at the top of this letter, it actually has the logo, the logo, the symbol Mm -hmm. with the circle surrounded by the six circles. And it says faith through knowledge is just called knowledge. Nice. I need you to roll luck for me. Uh, fail, 75 on a 45. And with that, you hear the hammer of a gun click. Oh, no. I got my hands up, but still, I guess, carrying the bag with the rod. <laughs> hands up, wearing your capris. <laughs> And your shirt from a gas station, hands up, holding up this bag of ice that is still dripping faster and faster red, just all over this house, just red everywhere. Maybe we should investigate that. Yeah, I should look into that bag a little more. (laughs) (laughs) Capri pants, first priority. Second priority, (laughs) blood bag. 
Clark, what the fuck are you doing in my daddy's house? And it is Chief Maggie Cook. Oh my God. Margaret, do not talk to my adopted son that way. He's the only thing in my life. Maggie, is it you? Clark is, uh, he might be crying. He might have a tear running down his eye right now. And his hands are lowering. Is her gun lowering? Her gun is lowering as your hands lower. Gerald is half standing in front of him because he doesn't actually want to die. But he wants to show allegiance towards Gerald in this situation. I mean, I'm sorry, towards Clark in this situation. Absolutely. Well, and himself. Actually, that was an accurate statement both ways. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie, I don't, uh, I'm sorry, Chief. You can just call me Maggie now. Clark starts to compose himself a little more, stands up a little a little straighter, but still is so slack-jawed. Uh, uh, Maggie, um, I thought I thought you died. I thought you were dead, Maggie. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confused here as well. I start walking toward her and I'm trying to hug her. Okay. Gerald continues to like put himself in between the two. So he's sort of like shuffle stepping forward. She awkwardly walks toward you and engages in one of the more awkward hugs that's existed like on this sandwich, show. Sandwich hug. <laughs> and Gerald has never felt so much warmth and love in his life. You've got, you've got one arm in between us. <laughs> no, I mean, in half, Save half, room for my, half my frail body is in there too. It's the size of one arm though. I pull away my from body. the embrace. <laughs> Ma- Maggie, I, I, I swear to God, Joe doesn't remember. Did I see her body? Did I ever see her body? Maybe you would have seen the charred remains let's say i did maggie I, I saw i saw your body you were you were you were dead and that uh saying that out loud freaks clark out a little bit so he recoils and gets a little further away from her this is just like an edgar Allan poe poem <laughs> chief maggie cook well just maggie cook she's not wearing her uniform and this is maybe the first time you've seen her not in uniform in years yeah and now you only saw i mean you saw her five days ago you were celebrating her birthday but since then you've already mourned her but she's just wearing like black jeans and a hoodie and she kind of walks toward you and walks kind of past you a little bit and grabs the red notebook that's sitting out she kind of thumps it on one of her hands clark uh have you been looking around here? Uh, What'd you come here for? Do I remember what color Drew gave her? Drew gave her a yellow one, okay, I believe. Okay. Uh, Maggie, I'd, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I'm, I'm missing. I'm, I've got some gaps. I, I actually don't know how I ended up here at this moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she pulls her finger out, and she kind of reaches towards you, and she pokes at your chest and feels it give. Hmm. What happened there? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Maggie, I, I lift up my shirt and show her. She steps back. <sighs> okay. All right. Clark, I've been waiting a long time for this. I've been waiting a real long time for this. You need to come with me immediately. What's her demeanor? Excited. Happy or afraid? Both. Has she acknowledged Mr. Fingerson at all? No. Which I find very rude. Uh, fuck. Where, uh, okay, where is she motioning toward? Like when she said, come with me. Was she walking out of the house or somewhere else into the house? No, she was just standing. Ma- uh, Maggie, oh, uh, I mean, where where do you, where have you been, Maggie? Clark. Now wait just one second. You won't tell us what to do, Clark. What should we do? Clark, is everything okay? Oh, shit. You know, Maggie always was a bitch. <laughs> She's ignoring me right now. Don't listen to her. Mr. M- Mr. Fingerson. Yes? Stop for a second. Clark, did I you I don't just... know about this, Maggie. I don't trust her. Listen to me. I point at Mr. Fingerson. I'm talking to Mr. Fingerson, Maggie. She takes a couple more steps back. Okay, Clark. I think she's ignoring me just because one time I charged her extra for a late book. She wouldn't <laughs> acknowledge that she didn't turn back in because of Winn-Dixie. I am staring very scared at Mr. Fingerson right now, and I turn back to Maggie. Yeah, Maggie. Maggie. He knows what's at the mill. You keep 
looking at Gerald uh-huh. every time he's talking, and she keeps saying, "What? What in the world do you keep looking over there for?" And she's looking over there too, and just in bewilderment, and she's very confused. God, don't you remember all our good times together at the library when I tried to teach you how to read at a first grade level? I start walking toward Mr. Fingerson. And I hold out my hand. Can I touch him? As you walk toward Mr. Fingerson, I think he probably backs up. And then you continue. You have that dead wrong narrator. <laughs> <laughs> I want nothing more than to hold hands with Clark. As Gerald Fingerson holds out his hand to grab yours, you reach out and grasp onto nothing. Oh, fuck. Clark Clark is freaked the fuck out. I need you to roll sanity. Yeah. My sweet baby boy. (laughs) Stay with me. Hold on. I pass an 18 on a 23. And with that, Gerald Fingerson dissipates. Oh, shit. I think that freaks Clark out in and of itself, too, that he's now lost the thing that was kind of helping him at this moment. What about Cashew Chicken Sunday? Okay, I'm done. (laughs) What about Cashew Chicken Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> as he floats, he just turns into dust. Uh, actually, no. Which, as as Mr. Fingerson is disappearing, Clark is going, no, 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 no. And he's gone. Clark, are you, are you with me? Are you here? I turn very solemnly to Maggie. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. All right. Get your head straight. We got a lot of work to do. M- Maggie, I'm, 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 I'm leaking pretty bad here. I'm going to get some ice and fill up this bag just to... Just to be safe. Yeah, okay, what's in there? I, I don't know exactly, but it looks like blood coming out of it. If there's ice around it, I assume they were trying to preserve it in some way. Frankly, I'm afraid that it's the hole in me, Maggie. Oh my God. Oh my. And she like begins to move some of the ice around. She wants to see what's in there. I let her. Okay, so she starts moving the ice back away and like moving down around this metal rod that's in there. It's a hollow metal rod that's in there. She moves enough ice out of the way that you both look down and you see a heart. Yeah, I was, I was afraid of that. That has been impaled by this rod straight through the heart. And when she sees that, she goes, that explains quite a bit. She goes, all right, we're on a time crunch. I'll be in the car. Uh, I, go to the, I go to the freezer and I crack all the ice trays that I can. He's probably only got a couple. He's just got two. He's a normal Amer- American. He's got two ice trays. I throw those in the bag. All right, I, I crack them up and dump them in the bag. Okay, so you go outside and uh, Maggie Cook's car is out there. What would Maggie Cook be driving now? I'm nervous that we've said before what she drives. Off, off duty. I think we said a Bronco, maybe. I think she had a truck, um, but that truck is still wherever it would have been. She's she's in new wheels now. Gotcha. So I'm going to put her in a silver Camry, just a real, yep. just a real common car. And as you guys are driving out of the suburbs of the city and what you would know as toward the mill outside on the other side of the city... You guys are in the car, just sitting in complete silence. Clark wants to look in the little canvas bag that's inside the ice bag. I guess next to my heart, next to a heart (laughs) that I think is my heart. Next to a heart that you could reasonably... Hey, that looks like my heart. (laughs) I recognize this heart. It's familiar. feel like it's been inside me. When you grab this canvas bag that is, uh, it's cold, you know, and wet, and it's got a little, uh, little blood on it. This is it. Oh, he just handed me a small canvas bag in real life. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm opening it. There's, uh, it looks like little tiny puzzle pieces, maybe. Little pieces of cardboard. Little pieces. Oh, there's uh, there's letters on the backs. Uh, okay. It's a. It's going to spell a word, I believe. I guess I can just tell you as I see them. S-T-L-E-N-R. And a symbol. The symbol is a square with a circle in the square. It's a Stalerner. <laughs> I figured it out, Zach. It's Stalern. Uh, you get a hundred luck. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, in the in the car, you pull this bag out and you you look at what's inside, and it is these uh, these cut pieces of this uh, material with a uh, coloration on one side and letters 
on the other with a, a symbol. Uh, Joe knows what these are, and I think Clark does too. Hit me with it. Uh, they're the letters they give you in the final round of Wheel of Fortune. It's missing the I, though, and the I might be this symbol. Are you sure about that, Joe? That's, uh, Joe is making that. No, Clark is making that too. Clark is Clark is like, these are, these are those letters that they always give you at the end of Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna give you. Uh, I'm gonna give you ten luck nice. for, for getting that so fast. Fuck yeah! <laughs> so what's that put your luck I up to? I got uh, fifty-five. Fifty-five, and you guys are in the car, just sitting in complete silence. Maggie, can you can you tell me what? Why are you alive? Saw you were kind of standing by my dad's old book. The uh. That leather book that's got some some real importance for me and people like me and soon-to-be people like you. There's a prophecy in there, Clark. And that prophecy is the revelation of the overseer. And what it says is that it is only through death that he may rise again. We believe the overseer is coming and he's going to set an order in the world and I've been preparing his way. That's what we do at the Circle of Knowledge. Well, not only that, we're also fighting on the forefront to keep this world safe from the unnatural that's on the other side. And Clark, I, you know, I, I was against it at first sight and she kind of breaks a little bit and she's much more comfortable now talking with you and she's like I didn't I didn't believe in the way things were going and um I didn't understand but now I'm I'm starting to understand a little bit more about how the world works you know it's fire that keeps this world going you know it's it's fear people can't handle that knowledge Clark most people but you can I can we can people like us people in the circle of knowledge and we've been tasked with this responsibility and it's a big one we keep the world moving what was your question <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm at i'm at leon I'm, I'm at leon simpson yeah that's right leon's a cool guy maggie we've been dealing with some stuff for the last five days or so and it sounds like the crazy knowledge you were just spouting out at me and you were not there i couldn't be there clark but i knew that you guys could handle it we couldn't maggie we couldn't handle it well where are we at i just want to know why you weren't around clark does the ant question when it is being moved by a boot the things that you have been dealing with they may seem large I guarantee you, you haven't seen anything yet. After driving about 10 miles past the city, you take the country road that leads out to the mill. Trees on either side of the road have grown to meet above, making a verdant tunnel that encases you. A few miles down this road, you see a small sign next to a gravel path that leads into the thick woods. The sign says, The Mill, on our grind and crushing it. That gravel path leads to an opening where just enough trees have been removed to open up space for a parking lot and a massive brick building with two enormous smokestacks reaching up into the canopy of trees encircling this property. It makes you feel small. The trees must be at least 12 stories tall. And you pull into the mill. <laughs> oh, shit. And you guys park, and she walks... You into the mill and you uh, you go through a couple doors, corridors. There's people. There are people all over the place working. They're not paying any attention to you whatsoever. Even though I'm styling. Even though you look. <laughs> oh, you are such a wreck. <laughs> uh, do you still have this bag of ice? Yeah. Totally. Okay. You're just carrying it with you. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that's my heart in that bag. I'm not going to let it out of my sight. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes sense. So even though you look like a fucking lunatic no one pays you any mind as you follow maggie cook real fast has clark ever been to the mill in his life 
No. Other than what's happened in the last few days? And then also, do I recognize anybody in the halls? Is, is there any familiar faces? You recognize no one in the halls. Okay. As you're going through these halls, you go through doorway after doorway that leads you to stairs and then other stairs. And then finally, this one corridor of stairs that's blocked off. She walks up to it and there's a scanner on one side of the door and uh, she clicks a button and this little thing pops up and she sticks her armpit over it and then it beeps and it goes back into the wall and the door opens and you guys walk down these stairs did that uh, did that take your temperature maggie is that what that was that's how you take a kid's temperature oh yeah no you just uh you get into all these doors with your pubic hair <laughs> Oh, of course. That makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's how you do it. So you walk down, and the, at this point, when the door opens, everything on the other side is completely different building structure than what you've been walking through before. Everything past here is cold stone, and it is a spiral staircase that leads down, 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 and it is quite dark, but you are led by a flickering light that is coming from the bottom. And when you make it down to the bottom of the stairs, you are standing in a room that you have been in before. And it is this circular domed room that is concrete all the way through. And these familiar slabs are set up where there's one in the middle and there's uh, six surrounding it. As you walk in there, there are already two bodies on each slab and attached to each of these bodies is a xenonematode, which is one of those mm. crazy looking, just like this oily squamous material that is actually this creature that you've seen the, the, the mouth of before. And you've seen the razor sharp teeth with the teeth inside of it. How are they attached to the bodies? Is it, everybody has a different place? That everybody has it in a different place. Okay. And all of these people, they are covered in open sores from other placements mm -hmm. and their skin is rotting and gross looking. Are any of them conscious? Do no the one open? is conscious. Okay. Everyone's eyes are closed. Okay. Maggie walks you into this room. All right, Clark. Well, this is the fun part. <laughs> uh, to get inducted into the circle of knowledge, I'm going to need you to have a quick lie down on this table here. And she points to the slab Whoa. in the in the middle of the circle. Whoa, uh, Leon! Leon said he wasn't going to make me have to put one of those things. He said I didn't have to sacrifice flesh or limb. Well, you're not going to have to sacrifice limb, and you're only going to have to sacrifice a little flesh. But the game has changed, Clark, and you're being inducted. Real fast, does Clark can Clark do a comparison between now and the last time he was here? Is it the same number of people roughly in the room? Is it more or less? I think it's the same number. I could be wrong. Okay. I think it's the exact same number. The only difference is that the other two people, Leon Simpson and the woman who mm -hmm. was here last time, neither one of them are in this room. Le Leon! Leon! I sent them out. Leon said I wasn't going to have to do this. That Those things freak me out, Maggie. She grabs your shoulders. Clark, faith through knowledge is just called knowledge. I don't need you to have faith. I need you to have knowledge. And she slowly kind of pushes your chest. I let it happen. And then she moves down to your left foot. I, you haven't gotten shoes or socks yet, nope. so she doesn't have to take off anything. <laughs> and she walks over to the side of the slab, and there's this, like, handle in the ground. And she reaches down, she twists this circular handle pulls up this big cartridge like the size of a <laughs> what the fuck a parking pylon is it that big <laughs> yep yep a parking pylon inside you see one of these creatures and she in one swift motion pulls out the xeno nematode and attaches it to the bottom of your left foot and you feel it bite in and your vision immediately <laughs> goes dark Ooh, boy, what's about to fucking happen? <laughs> the ground you're standing on is made of light. It is a soft glow that illuminates this new world from below. You feel strange, content, satiated in every physical way. 
it is extremely relaxing, but also weirdly involuntary. Above you is only darkness, in every direction surrounding you where what could be called the sky meets what could be called the ground is blacker than black opaque darkness, except for the twelve figures in the distance and the giant black mass. They are all dimly lit from below. You would think they would cast a shadow on the sky above if it was anything more than all-consuming darkness. These twelve figures seem to be following some massive being as they travel away from you. As you move closer, you hear the chanting. It's soft at first and muffled, but these twelve figures are chanting from deep in their lungs and ahead of them, seemingly made from the darkness that surrounds everything in this place, is a towering, lumbering beast. It walks on two massive legs the size of trees. Its broad shoulders are at least 25 feet from the ground. As you stare, its image seems to form and reform over and over like incomprehensible little glitches and then it roars. Every muscle in your body tenses up at the same time. All air leaves your lungs, and you begin weeping uncontrollably before you can even hit the ground. Your eyes open, and you come to, and you are laying on this table. Maggie Cook is putting this horrible creature back into the ground next to you and she looks up at you and she says Clark that thing's coming and we keep it from coming here who, who was what, what what was that Maggie what was it I need you to roll sanity the chanting was it uh discernible was it words okay what you, would you have me roll sanity yes sir uh fail it's a 37 on a 1e3 oof okay so I'm going to have you half a D6 again for that pretty horrifying and astounding <laughs> situation that you've just been through. Half a three. All right. Make it a two. Yes, sir. How many did you have? I had 23. All right. Down to 21. What's your breaking point? Uh, 18. And you didn't roll above your power, did you? No. Well. Not by a long. I got a, I got a 60 power. I'm, I'm, I'll be all right for a while, I think. <laughs> I, I say that it's just a matter of a single roll that makes it. Not yeah, it's a it's a it's a forty percent chance that you freak out on somebody. So, oh my god, if that had just happened just now, um, that actually would have been that would have been would have been cool. That would have been tight. <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway. I punch him. No, <laughs> Maggie, is there is there anything you can do about this? And I hold up the the bag with my heart in it. She reaches and grabs the rod and she pulls it out of whoa, the bag. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're Clark, trust me here. You're alive without it. Let me look at it. Okay. She grabs the rod. She pulls slowly. She goes, I know, I know. She lifts it up and then she grabs your heart with one hand and she removes it from the rod like a shish kebab <laughs> and it starts sputtering blood oh maggie maggie and it's going all over the place i'm, and I'm trying goes, to get my hand over her hand to stop that sputtering <laughs> and it's sputtering through your fingers like you've uh plugged a hose or something do i have any physical sensation when doing that none okay. at all cool. none at all she goes you're fine you're fine look at you you're staying you're fine all right now i want you to see something <sighs> she grabs a a, a small uh, stick from a box in the corner of the room and she comes she comes back and she slowly puts it into the hollow metal rod and she begins pushing it all the way through and then she cups her hand at the end of the other side and through pops two little pieces of metal you remember our backup plan for if you didn't come back and finish your last job you didn't come back in time oh I've tried to take your heart already, Clark. I think you're going to be fine. I, I don't have a heart, Maggie. What? Clark, a lot of things in this world move a lot stranger than we thought they might have. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm seeing that now, that's for sure. Clark, you're one of us now. And I hate to do this to you right away, but I've got a job for you. You asked where Leon was. He's on a job. I'm going to send you out on one as well. What does that mean, Maggie? 
I have a lot of responsibility, Clark. I have my eyes on a lot of pies, all right? I send you out, you complete the job, you come back. Most of the time, that's all you need to know, okay? Now, I got kind of a rough one for you right off the top, but where it's taking place, you were already supposed to be. I need you to go to the funeral today. It starts in, she holds up her watch, starts in an hour. It's at the city cemetery. I heard about, you know, Ari dying in the fire. I was pretty shook up about that. But this does give us quite the opportunity. You see her dad, Stan Manstein. He's going to be out of the city asylum for the first time in a long time. He doesn't go out much, and we need to take this opportunity. Clark, I need you to take him out. You want me to kill Ari's dad at Ari's fucking funeral? It's actually more of an assassination attempt, but yeah. Okay. Okay, Maggie. That thing I just saw in that vision, whatever the fuck it was, scares me more than anything that I've ever experienced in my life before. If you're telling me, if you're telling me killing Ari's dad is going to stop that thing, fuck it, sure. Hand me a gun. Ah!